Hello, and welcome to episode 12 of the Vegan Business Tribe podcast with myself, David Fennell, co-founder of Vegan Business Tribe. And if you have a vegan business, or you're just thinking about starting one, then Vegan Business Tribe is here to support you and inspire you, not just to build a vegan business, but to build a successful vegan business. And if you want to go beyond the podcast and connect with our community of like-minded vegan entrepreneurs, then head over to veganbusinesstribe.com, where you can get new free content every week. But you can also join our paid membership to take part in our online events, join our business clinics, our workshops. You can even study our our vegan marketing course and get a whole lot more to help you with your vegan business whilst also helping us keep our content free. And that's because access to help and information is really important at the moment. And this is why we've teamed up with VegFest UK to run a series of business panels as part of their online events. Now, VegFest UK, it's one of the UK's biggest vegan events. And usually we'd be running these sorts of panels all together in an auditorium in front of a, a brilliant live audience. But as you can imagine, because of the current pandemic restrictions, VegFest UK, like many other others they've moved their program of events online but that means that we're still able to bring together panels of amazing vegan business experts and although we are all sat in front of our computers and we're speaking from different parts of the world and the country it actually potentially means that we're able to get this information this help and advice out there to a far wider audience so Before we start, I really want to extend my thanks to the VegFest UK team for keeping giving us these platforms. And in a couple of moments, we'll be going over to the panel recorded live, and it's titled How to Fund a Vegan Business. And this has to be one of the biggest questions we get asked by our members at Vegan Business Tribe, because the money, it is out there. If you have a really keen idea for a vegan business, or even better, if you've already proven a vegan business and you now need more funds just to scale that up, then there's a lot of interest in backing vegan and plant-based businesses and products right now. But it might be that if you don't have the contacts or you've never tried to go out and find money before, then you just don't know where to start. So in this panel, I interview three experts in vegan funding, starting with Nick Mayhew of VFIN, who compares both traditional and modern ways of raising money, such as getting finance from a bank or a lender, right through to crowdfunding. I then talk to Claire Smith, founder of Beyond Animal and Beyond Investing, who is herself an impact investor, helping vegan brands scale up and just realise their full potential. And Claire talks about what investors are looking for and, more importantly, how to go out and find them. Following Claire, I then talk to Mike Hill, co-founder of One Planet Pizza, who are the UK's first vegan frozen pizza company. And they've really been one of the rising stars of vegan business in the UK over this last couple of years. 
Mike talks about his first-hand experience of raising money as the company grew, from undergoing numerous fundraising rounds to get the company launched, to equity-based crowdfunding, to eventually taking on investors to keep the business growing and moving forward. Now, finally, after the interviews, don't turn off because we then bring all the experts together to answer your questions that were submitted by members of Vegan Business Tribe. And you really don't want to miss that because there's just as much good information in the Q&A session at the end as the individual interviews. Now, these are really important and interesting conversations that I didn't really want to edit down just to fit in a half hour podcast. So I've made this week's podcast into a two parter. With this first half that you're listening to now, this is the interviews with Nick from VFIN and Claire from Beyond Investing. But please make sure that you then come back and listen to the second half from Mike from One Planet Pizza and that really important Q&A at the end. Now, if you are one of our paying members of Vegan Business Tribe, then you actually get access to your podcast a week before everyone else, which means you don't have to wait a week for part two. Just go and check your members dashboard on the site for the latest preview episode. Okay, so if you're thinking about raising money yourself, then you might want to have your notebook handy for this one. So I'll now pass over to myself live from VegFest UK. What we're going to be talking about today is how to get funding for your vegan business, because I think it's fair to say that a lot of people set up a vegan business as their way of aligning their personal ethics and their career. But I hate to say this, and I think I might get some agreement from our experts, but a lot of vegans just don't seem to like making money. <laughs> we can think it's unethical to chase a profit, and especially if we're selling you know, to other vegans. But the truth is, you can do a lot more good in the world with a profit than you can with a loss. And money is always a little bit of a taboo when it comes to vegan businesses. But at some point, if you are wanting to scale up your business, or even if you just want to you know, test out a new idea, then you might only get so far through self-funding. So today, we're going to pull back the curtain on finance with our three experts. And I'm going to talk to each for about 10, 15 minutes about their area of expertise. And then we've also got some questions submitted by Vegan Business Drive members, which will be open for anyone to answer. So I'm going to start with, with Nick. Now, good morning, Nick. And how are you today? Good morning, David. Yeah, very well. Thank you very well. Um, embracing this grey weather. So, yeah. <laughs> no, that's brilliant. Now, Nick is the founder of VFIN, as I said, and, and you help vegan and ethical companies to raise money. And that's from traditional lending and financing through to crowdfunding campaigns. So, Nick, do you want to just take a minute to tell us who you are and what you do? Yeah, so I, as you said, I'm Nick Mayhew, the founder of VFIN. So um, for the last sort of four years, I've been working in finance to running my own commercial finance brokerage. Um, those two years were typically aimed at sort of your more traditional businesses, your construction, your recruitment, manufacturing, haulage, those kind of guys. Um, and last July, I went vegan um, sort of for animal and health reasons. Um, and I got to the point sort of early this year, particularly when the lockdown happened, I realized my kind of values weren't aligned with what I was doing in the finance business. You know, it's all well and good to help a sort of construction business. And, you know, you're still doing good things when you help the owners of those businesses. But there's no sort of wider impact than that other than helping that business and their staff and their family. I realized I wanted to do more. 
And I'd always, always been interested in veganism, um, sort of particularly like food and beverage businesses, cosmetics. Um, and as you said, a lot of them don't necessarily have the right as, um, not aspect, but they don't have maybe the right um, kind of attitude towards their business in terms of profitability yeah. and they don't give themselves the right chance to succeed. And when we were playing against all these unethical players and the big kind of meat players and they've got all this knowledge, all this funding, um, we've got to fight them fire fire with fire effectively so that's maybe what made me want to go into vfin and start helping these vegan businesses raise the finance they need to grow be profitable and knock knock animal products off the shelves effectively i think that's exactly what we spoke about in the um interesting about aligning your your personal ethics with with how you make a living and, and and how what your business is but there are actually you know there are many ways a company can get access to funding and i think the first thing that many people actually think about is going to their bank first but i know that isn't always the best option because this is just borrowing money that has to be paid back regardless as if you're successful or not so could you just give us a quick rundown of the different ways people can raise money for a business yeah i mean there's a lot of different ways i mean bank uh, lending is one method and the banks are pretty strict on who they lend to so if you've not got much in the way of assets or property in the background or if you're a new company you might struggle to get that initial kind of lending from the bank um, for newer businesses if there's some trading going on you can look at some asset backed financing so whether that's kind of financing to buy assets you need to grow your business um, or um, you've already got assets and you're looking to release some cash from them that's another option you can look at financing receivables so if you have uh, if you trade with the likes of Tesco and they pay you in 60 days you can borrow against that um, borrow against that outstanding ledger those receivables uh, get that money in faster reinvest it's kind of like a it's called invoice finance it's similar to an overdraft but slightly different uh, for card payments you've got something called merchant cash advance which is basically invoice finance against card payments um, then you've got your likes of your unsecured term lending which is just here's some money you pay it back over sort of three to five years and then you've got your sort of more um, ones that seem to be more um, I guess quite popular at the moment so that's kind of raising money from your friends and family if you're yeah. fortunate enough to have some you know some some very good friends who have deep pockets uh, you can look at taking on investors and you can look at um, crowdfunding, whether that's based on equity or um, rewards. Yeah, absolutely. And I know you've got, as you said in your intro, you've got a history of working with help, uh, helping companies navigate through these different funding options because there's lots of different options. But I especially want to compare traditional lending through banks and lenders with this crowdfunding, because if you just go back 20, you know, even 10 years ago, people might not have even known what the concept of crowdfunding is. So when is it right for a business to take on traditional lending from a bank or lenders? And when is it right for a business to look at something like running a crowdfunding campaign? So I guess it depends on the reasons you need the finance and what, um, yeah, like the reasons you're looking to raise money. Because right. if it's something like you're looking to ease cash flow or provide some working capital, traditional lending can be a great way of getting that cash into your business so that you're not um, selling a portion of your equity just to ease cash flow pressure. Yeah. Um, equally, as you know, if I was to invest in a business and I found that it was just for working capital rather than growing the business, I maybe wouldn't be so pleased with that shall we say um so if if a business has been used to trading on say you know cash on delivery and then all of a sudden they land a big contract um i, I believe it's right to look at uh traditional lending your invoice finance and those kind of things but if you're looking to make some if you've not got much in the way of assets or you're looking to make some really um 
uh, you're looking to grow quite significantly, that's where I think sort of crowdfunding and equity investment have the best kind of um, best usage in that case because you're not having to make repayments uh, so that doesn't impact your cash flow too much. But you can also raise more in comparison to what you could from a traditional lender. So if you look at, say, an unsecured lender, typically you're looking at being able to borrow about one or two months turnover. Whereas with something like crowdfunding or equity investment, you know, it's more about the future, how the business is going to look in the future, what you've done so far, getting the alignment from the investors and kind of selling that vision and that story, which may allow you to raise more than you could on a on a on a debt basis. Yeah, absolutely. And just to repeat that point, did you say there that you could usually look to raise one or two months turnover if you go through traditional lending? On average, yeah. I mean, if you yeah. if you look something like receivables or asset backed it's kind of dependent on the value of the assets and the value of the invoices but if you're just looking at an unsecured term loan yeah one or two months turnover once you've been trading for sort of more than three years is about what you're looking at absolutely i'm guessing another big difference is also is that with traditional lending that's usually tied to some kind of asset so that might be assets of the business but it can be your personal finance as well can't it it might be tied to, to your home that might be you, you might be putting up a stake there yeah, and I mean, it's, it can be useful if you really believe in the vision and your mission. Um, you know, it's a good way of focusing the mind, shall we say. Um, but it allows you to borrow more than you could, um, particularly if you're early stage. So if you've got a property with, um, say, let's keep the maths easy, for uh, 200,000 of equity in, um, you can borrow 65% of that, uh, 60% of that equity, you could raise 120,000. Um, there's options you can look at sort of interest only, spread that term over 10 years, which, yeah, can be good, but risky if it goes wrong. Um, you know, yeah, so I, I mean, specifically on those time scales, though. So what sort of time would you usually be looking for paying back finance through lending? Because if you've na never taken on lending before, the only thing you might have to compare this to is something like like your mortgage, and that might have been 25, 30 years, but you get to pay it back. But in business, it's not usually that sort of length of term, is it? No, so unsecured ranges anywhere from within 12 months to up to five years, generally. Um, there's a few that went up to seven years for a period, but it's Max is typically around five years for an unsecured lens. Um, but a lot of the unsecured funders, they have these sort of quasi overdraft facilities. So you, you typically tend to service the interest over a 12 month period, but that capital is due back at the end of those 12 or 24 month term. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and and so what sort of, um, you know, because we've got so many options here, and I'm guessing that some of them are going to be also better for different levels of funding. So what level of funding is appropriate to each? Or how much could you raise through a crowdfunding campaign, for instance, compared to traditional lending? Yeah, so you can, <clears throat> typically, you'll be able to raise more from crowdfunding than you would from traditional lending if if you're looking at it on an unsecured basis, if you've got a very asset heavy business, um, somehow you've managed to accumulate a load of assets or you've got some, you know, significant property assets in your personal name in the background, then maybe you could raise more than you could on a crowdfund basis. But um, yeah, typically on crowdfunding, we can see people raise quite a lot, quite a significant percentage of their turnover compared to what they could on an unsecured basis. I'm push you then. Give me some figures. Yeah, it's, it's really hard to give figures because I don't want to be too revealing of companies I know in the background that have raised maybe 10 times more than their turnover, which was not <clears throat> legit, shall we say. But yeah, I don't, it, it, it kind of really varies, but you can raise a lot more because there's companies that do crowdfunding raises that are pre-revenue. 
And then it becomes yeah. more about the story, more about the work you've done in the background. So yeah. to be fair, it's hard to give a figure on that. It's more about the valuation of the business and how many shares you're looking to a lot. So you, if you value your business at a million pounds and you're willing to give away 20% of that business, then yeah. um, I'll raise 200,000 there. Um, yeah. That's that's how that. you got to that valuation. Yeah, of course. And I think we've seen crowdfunding campaigns going up to that level, haven't we? Where they're going, you know, up to 100,000, 200,000. And that's, you know, some people have gone even larger. Um, but if you are just looking to, say, raise a few thousand pounds, which a lot of smaller vegan businesses might, then I think the big thing is that's not still not guaranteed under crowdfunding, is it? So you might put a plan in place that needs 10,000 pounds to deliver that. And then you go down crowdfunding and the money just never materializes. But if you go to traditional lending from a bank, that's something where you'll get a very definitive answer and you can put that cash into your forecasting can't you yes correct yeah and there's a few lenders that will look on um you know at levels under fifteen they they've got auto decision in models so um okay. they can be quite quick to get that decision in a minute and have that cash that same day so same yeah. same day cash you just said there yeah can be yeah yeah brilliant which, which i think is something that can really help out i mean how long does it normally take if you're going through crowdfunding to get that money in the bank um, so if we're talking about a completed raise, then someone like Cedars or Crowdcube typically does a due diligence period um, once a raise has been completed. They say it could take up to a couple of weeks to complete that, but I'd say anywhere within sort of six weeks you should receive your money. But if you're looking at planning a crowdfunding raise, then it's all about the planning. So you, you're typically doing something sort of six or nine months in advance, at least, yeah. if you want to have a really good really good raise. I mean, down at your heights recently raised, um, they raised one million pounds in 20 minutes, but it wasn't 20 minutes going live on Cedars. It was all the pre-work you did in the background, all the sort of schmoozing with investors and doing all that pre-work to a lot of those shares. So they were able to get that million in quickly. And then the, um, the investors on the panel of, uh, Cedars then sort of carried the rest of that 800,000. Yeah, absolutely. So what, what we're saying is if you want the cash in now and you've got the assets behind you, then you can go to the bank and get that, you know, that answer almost straight away. Uh, what I'd like to know, though, is from your point of view, Nick, because you, you talk to a lot of companies who are just looking to raise funds. What would you say the market trend is at the moment? Are people now coming to you saying we want to do crowdfunding or is that something that more that you're introducing them to? A lot of people are asking about crowdfunding um, and equity investment. I'm speaking I'm speaking to people about a lot of things, to be fair. People are becoming open to the sort of more traditional lending as well, the asset-based yeah. stuff. I'm helping a company with um, to finance some uh, assets for their business as well. So they're asking about a range of different things. But what I am finding is the ones that are asking for the traditional lending perhaps have already completed some of a crowdfunding raise in the past already. Uh, so... Yeah. Um, but I know I can say about four years ago when I first started prospecting into food and beverage, uh, a lot of the companies we were talking to about traditional lending very quickly went on to do something like a Cedars raise or a Crowdcube raise and were successful in that. Um, so I think actually a lot of companies, particularly if they've got quite um, smart investors in the background, are sort of stressing the benefits of having both the um, – that something like a crowdfunding raise for the marketing and PR benefits, but also investing in sort of your business in terms of staff, um, your own marketing, those kind of things. And then the traditional lending to help with your sort of cash flow and working capital so that investors' money is not suffering cash drag and waiting for uh, 
yeah, waiting for those invoices to be paid effectively. Yeah, absolutely. And that's brilliant. But just to finish off, I'd like to know what you think, um, you know, about why I said into my introduction, do you think that was fair that just when a lot of vegans are planning their business, they don't think enough about the making money part and, you know, when the money's going to come in and, and they struggle um, not appreciating that there are lots of options out there to get money if you want to scale up a business? Yeah, I think it's fair, but I think it's also across the board in a lot of small businesses anyway, that um, particularly a lot of people start businesses because they see something in the world they want to change or often it's because they don't like their boss and think they can do it better. So it's, yeah, I don't think it's just strictly a vegan problem, but I think when we're doing something as as important as what we're doing in veganism and we've got all this, we've got this massive battle to fight, you know, we've got to make as vegan business owners, we've got to give ourselves every opportunity to, to succeed that we can. Yeah. And, so, yeah, and, I think it's fair, yeah. I 100% agree with that. So that's brilliant, Nick. Thank you very much. And just to repeat, you are Nick Mayhew from VFIN. And if people want to find out more about you, where do, where do they go? What's the best way to get in touch? Uh, so, yeah, I'm pretty active on LinkedIn, which is just Nick Mayhew. Um, I'm also, I've got the website, which is vfin.io, um, and my old finance brokerage website still has a bit about what we do, which is peakbusinessfinance.co.uk. That's brilliant. So thank you so much for your time there, Nick. Okay, I'm going to move on to our second expert now, which is Claire Smith. Uh, Claire is the founder of Beyond Animal and Beyond Investment. And now, Claire, um, you introduced yourself, and especially when we first spoke, you introduced yourself as an impact investor. So can I ask you to tell me exactly what you mean by that and just give us a bit more information about Beyond? Yes, certainly. Um, Yes, so I I define myself as an impact investor because the the primary driver of my moving into this area of investment was to create um, impact um, and and to to create that impact through investing in companies that were going to have this positive impact in the world. Um, And uh, without my investment, they wouldn't, wouldn't have been able to. And there's a number of companies in my portfolio that I and and a few other investors, if they hadn't gone in for the first rounds, um, and some of them where I was the only investor, um, would not would not exist today. And I think that's uh, that that's that's obviously very kind of gratifying um, from from my from my perspective. Um, so um, what what I would would like to sort of make clear is that that what, as an impact investor, often you're going into neglected areas. So when I first started. In 2016, there wasn't really that much investment into vegan businesses at all. Um, and, and so, you know, you're often kind of starting things going, um, uh, whereas the, the regular um, type of traditional investors in VC will wait until they see some kind of a trend um, and see some market traction for these companies. And so we are seeing, obviously, we're seeing traditional investors all, all the way along, a lot of pre-IPO investors coming in now for some of the some of the bigger companies in, in the space. But uh, I think the important thing is that, you know, as I said, uh, you, you have to have the, you know, the sort of early adopters in every business. You have to have the first movers to, to get things off, off the ground. So I think that's the definition really of the, of the impact space is that often they're the first people and they're motivated more by, well, as much by the impact as financial returns. They have belief in the companies and they have belief that it ultimately will be profitable, but they maybe have a longer time horizon than um, the traditional um, investment space. Absolutely. And now I think the problem is, Claire, is that we're all now experts investing because we, we've all seen Dragon's Den. And you know, that's where people go in. They ask for £100,000 in return for 15 pence of a business. So it means that we, we all know how investing works, right? <laughs> you know, Is it different, though, in, in the real world? 
Well, yes. I mean, I, I think we know that in any case with Dragon's Den, you know, you see the um, you, you see the, the 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 clips on the TV. You you see the edited down version. You hope that the dragons are doing a little bit more due diligence than that before they invest. And in fact, you know, we, I think we all know as well that the dragons going in and saying yes, I'll put that much into your business and sort of like picking up their wad of cash. It doesn't mean that a deal goes ahead at that time. It then goes into due diligence, and quite a lot, quite a number of those deals have have fallen by the wayside. Um, they haven't been completed, either because of issues on from you know the one side or the other, from the entrepreneur side or, or the, the dragon side that they, they you know they figured out that they don't want to want to move ahead, they don't get on, or they found some issues, uh, other types of issues with each other. So uh, and um, you know so uh, uh, yeah, I think that gives you a very kind of um, optimistic view of how your fundraise is, is going to go if you think it's, it's going to be as easy um, as, as, as that. Um, I mean, I would definitely say to, to the companies that, you know, definitely plan your raise and do as much work, work as you can before going out to any kind of investor. Obviously, you need pitch decks, you need a full financial plan, you need to not just pull numbers out of the air, but have good backup for your numbers. Um, identify all the costs that you think you're going to have, you know, what salaries you're going to pay, office costs if you're doing that. And then on the revenue side, have good backup to those revenues. Um, I mean, this is something the dragons often ask in terms of the revenues and, and where those revenues are, are, are coming from. Um, but you need to be able to sort of project forward, see where you're going to sell um, the product to and, uh, and probably haircut some of those estimates as well, because you're not always, you're not going to be you're always going to be optimistic you're not always going to get the listings in xyz uh, supermarket or food service or whatever that you're anticipating so be realistic as as well yeah absolutely and so when we're actually looking at investment so as we understand it it's either going to be an individual if it's an angel investor or it might be a fund uh, which is multiple investors working together and they're going to put a lump sum of money into a company for some kind of return but it's it's not just that money you're taking on you're also then opening your company up to the scrutiny of other people as well because at some point that investor wants to see that investment grow so just technically how does that work so when someone's putting money into your company what are they expecting to get back they're expecting to get back a lot more than they put in is the simple answer. Um, and so how, how is that going to happen? It's going to happen by you growing your business, but at some point being able to allow them to, to, to liquidate, to monetize that, uh, that um, gain. And, and how, does, how does that happen? Um, if, if you want to hang on to your company, you know, against all, all odds, um, then you're maybe not going to be too interested in a trade sale, for example. So maybe to, you know, some large food brand like uh, Unilever who bought the vegetarian butcher in, um, in Holland a year or so ago. Um, so that, that can, maybe you, you think that you can IPO, but there's only certain companies that reach this, the, the level of going to the stock exchange. I say that, but I have to say that there are actually some um some exceptions to that and in certain countries there are really some quite small companies going on the stock exchange a company that i invested in two months ago is considering going on to the stock exchange and i was the first investor so that's pretty extraordinary isn't it um and uh, but it's it's a function of different stock exchanges in different companies in, in different countries we're seeing some stock exchanges as well which are kind of um, prioritizing 
impact type investments. Um, but, but yes, in some countries, this, the cost of IPOing is very, very low. And so some companies are finding it attractive, even if they're pre-revenue, to um, list on a stock exchange because it facilitates them uh, getting capital in the future because the, the, the investors think, rightly or wrongly, that they already have an out, that they already have an ability to then sell they want to in these companies can be very very low but they are this amount of retail interest and have gone up to some quite explosive um valuations um so i think i think is more realistic if you'd asked me a year or so ago i said well you know no no company that uh, that uh, is uh, in my portfolio at that point is 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 likely to ipo for let's say 3 to 5 years now i think that there's every every possibility that some of these could ipo in the next 2 years um yeah. which is which is quite uh, yeah. which is quite extraordinary and is is really a function of the the stock market interest um in 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 this area because of the growth of the plant based market and I think that's absolutely amazing to hear that it's a smaller company as well. But I'm guessing that, you know, part of uh, the reason for someone looking for investor, it is maybe unfortunately going back to that Dragon's Den thing of, you know, you want someone who's got more business skills than you being involved with your business. It is very comforting if you've got someone who's already built businesses themselves and sold them and, and, and done, you know, that explosive growth. But is that a fallacy or are investors really that hands on in the companies that they invest in? Yeah, I think some investors can be very hands-on, um, and uh, and obviously, I think it, it very much depends on the amount of uh, of equity stake that they have. To be honest, if they've got a high percentage um, of your company into into sort of double figures or so, then they've definitely got a big interest in uh, in ensuring your your success because uh, they're going their payout is obviously that much uh, that much greater. Um, so yes, companies uh, should be doing as much due diligence on their investors and previous to going out to an investor, definitely look at their LinkedIn profile, look at their background, look at any company companies that they've been involved in in the past. You'll see on most of the VC sites, VC sites, including my own, you'll see a list of the companies that uh, that uh, they've invested in, and some of them will say what has happened with those companies if there's been an exit. And that's all about them saying, you know, we're really good investors. We spot the good opportunities, which is a bit about them raising funds, but also from the entrepreneur side, they will often talk about how they are providing some kind of a, a sort of ecosystem around the um, companies, which is you know which is something that i try and do as well and in fact i'm actually expanding my ecosystem to the whole vegan market through the beyond animal platform because there everybody can join and can interact with other vegan companies and uh, and uh, learn from each other um and that's uh, that's something that we hope will 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 only accelerate on that platform and of course with uh, with people like you also on that platform helping people on a day-to-day -day basis with the uh, sessions that you were you were doing earlier and we welcome any kind of uh, club or network like that uh, to do that in order to provide that more localized um, and uh, you know face-to-face -face contact with the entrepreneurs too. Absolutely. So we want to provide support to all vegan businesses not just in the funding on Beyond Animal but also in this access to other businesses, um, experts um, and uh, you know potential partners. 
Absolutely. And, and, and sorry for jumping in there, Claire. But yeah, I mean, we love the Beyond platform. You know, we're, we're on there quite regularly helping people out and we get involved in your events just as you're getting involved in ours. And it's great to have that ecosystem. But there does seem to be a lot of funding being put into plant-based at the moment and especially into those meat alternatives. So would you say this is because investors are, are starting to develop a conscience or is it, you know, homegrown people who are turning vegan then looking for vegan options? Or are investors just starting to follow the money? I think, yeah, it's a bit of a hot area because of the explosive um, growth, um, which people are seeing come through in terms of revenues. But also when we see, uh, as I said, this handful of companies that have also already gone onto the stock market, um, you know, going to very high valuations versus their current uh, revenues. Obviously, those valuations are based on the anticipated growth in those revenues, um, but they are building in quite a lot of optimism, let's say. You know, they, they, if you look at some of the ones, especially some of the ones in Canada where there's tiny companies, small liquidity, their revenues are increasing, but they're expecting them to basically be um, you know, it's a it's a bit like, I don't know, the valuation of Tesla versus the other car companies. There's an enormous amount of optimism in, in the price because it's this new technology, new thing. And uh, and they see them, you know, going forward and increasing, whereas a lot of these other companies, I mean, the food brands, the food manufacturers are kind of perceived as ex-gross. And so their valuations are low and they're. I, I thought it, last year when I saw Beyond Meat, or even before that, before it started, before it launched, I was like, this is going to really give a kick up the whatever to the other food brands because their CEOs are going to see the valuation for Beyond Meat and it's only you know skyrocketed since then and look at their own valuations and think, hang on a minute, I need to be doing something here. Not only for the, the investors, the investors obviously are kind of banging the door down saying why is our valuation as high, but also for their executive share options their pay is linked to their share prices and the performance of their stock. And so this has really given, given them a, you know, a prod to, to look at this market. So in terms of investors, yes, we're seeing investors come in, we're seeing more angels come in, more funds come in. I was rather shocked to the, quite recently to understand that somebody who I have never seen in a cap table, who has never put a penny into this space, has managed to raise a 100 million fund. So that was kind of you know, like, wow, okay, so um, people are so desperate that they will put money with somebody who has no no actual experience in investing in this area. Um, but uh, anyway, there is obviously investor interest, um, and that investor interest is spreading into the corporate side with a lot of corporate VCs that have been quite non-present in this space up to now, starting to put people um, directly in charge of looking at venture investments in this area. From absolutely. a standpoint, obviously. Yeah, absolutely. And as we said before, you know, a lot of this money seems to be chasing the next big meat alternatives, but probably the time to invest in companies like Beyond Meat to get the really big return some people have, that was probably 10 years ago, you know, before they got to the valuation that they are now. Um, so can I ask, though, if you, so if you are a vegan business and, and you've not yet exploded like one of these companies, um, it sounds like investment still is an option and investors out there looking for the next big thing. But what are investors actually looking for? Do you need to have actually proven a concept first to go out and, before going out and finding someone to put money in? Or are people still investing into ideas? 
There's, there's, there's two types, really. Um, I, I think if you have something, if, you, if you're looking to go into the food and beverage space with a brand, a branded product, so something along the lines of a recipe or, or you know, the pizzas that, that, uh, that Mike has, etc., um, then you, you, you need to have proven it out in some way first in terms of uh, selling at least a few products to, to, to a few people. Maybe you started on a market store. Maybe you started selling to local um restaurants um, or, or a small uh, supermarket chain, um, but you need to have some kind of evidence of, of demand there. And then what the VC funds certainly, and, and, and most investors, if they're going in for equity, they will want to see that you have a scalable um, business. So they will want to, to have comfort that you are going to be able to expand those sales, grow those sales, that you won't be capacity constrained. I very rarely invested in restaurant businesses, for example, because an individual restaurant is inherently capacity constrained by virtue of the fact that it only has so many numbers of tables and chairs and, and the capital costs of then creating the second and the third, and et cetera. Are, are, are quite high. Um, so something that uh, is ideal in this area is, is, is a product that can be co-manufactured, um, in which case you can use fact manufacturing facilities um, and kind of turn them on if you can find those manufacturing facilities. And I know that there is some kind of tightness in the market in terms of manufacturing now. But um, conceivably, you can find other co-manufacturers as you get demand and then and then build up, um, you know, build up those uh, those uh, orders. Um, there is an issue, obviously, if you're starting with a co-manufacturer, they need to know or have trust that you're going to be able to pay them. And this is where you get into things that uh, Nick was talking about, like um, purchase order financing, which may be which may be uh, necessary. Um, and uh, and on Beyond Animal, we're, we're putting in place some solutions for that also. Um, but uh, conceivably, that, that's a good time to invest. And I put money into two businesses, one called Mighty P and the other one called Jack and Bry, that basically had a very good product and had interest, enough interest from um, the retail sector, retail for one, food service for the other, for me to want to, to go ahead and actually fund their first, um, their first production. Um, the other type of business is where there's a lot of IP. So some of the businesses that I've invested in are doing a lot of research. I have invested in Celag. I know it's sometimes controversial within the vegan um, community, um, but other types of things like the uh, precision fermentation, which is synthetically producing um, uh, proteins, um, and also the algae space, where I've invested in companies that have patents to break down algae into component parts. And there it's less about the revenue, more about the value of that in intellectual property, which um, they can then either produce products or they license out that IP in order that other people can produce. So there you can see valuations moving up. It's not about the, the, the revenue today, but it's about the value of their um, technology. Yeah, and thank you for that, Claire. That, that's really important because I know when I've worked with investing in the past, they've always said scalability and intellectual property are the two things that they're looking for. So thank you so much for that, Claire. We, we, we could spend hours on this because it's absolutely fascinating. Uh, but just to repeat, repeat uh, who you are, you are Claire Smith from uh, Beyond Investment, Beyond Animal and Beyond Impact. And if people want to know more about you or even get in touch, where should they go find out more? Okay, I think the best is just to join Beyond Animal. If you join the Beyond Animal platform, then you'll be getting our newsletter. You'll see where I'm speaking and other places that I'm speaking as well. You'll be uh, aware we are launching the, the, the fundraising um, platform in the next month. Um, so pre-register for that. As 
of, uh, as, a, as a company or who's raising or as an investor. Um, and we will be in touch very shortly with the, with the, with the offering, with the details of that offering, um, you know, when, when it goes live. That's absolutely brilliant. And thank you so much, Claire. That's, that was a real insight. Well, I said at the start that there was so much useful information there and that just didn't disappoint, did it? And that final point from Claire was really important if you're looking at attracting investors. Scalability. And that's being able to grow the business easily and intellectual property. So the ideas for trademarks, for processes, or even the patents that your company owns, these are the two things that investors are looking for. And that means that if you're right at the start of your business right now, think about how you can be working these things into your business model. But that's not the end of a panel. So please make sure to check back for episode 13, where I next talk to Mike Hill from One Planet Pizza. And Mike has so much hands-on experience of raising money in so many different ways for vegan businesses that, again, you really don't want to miss it. We also then have the live Q&A at the end, where we cover questions from how to decide how much money you need to raise and should you give away equity in your business in return for raising it, through to raising money to help out if your company is already in debt and a conversation about if you can raise money from just ethical sources. So thank you so much for joining me. And if you're able to tap on the subscribe button or give the podcast a five-star review or even just share this podcast with others through your social media page, then you'll be really helping us to keep reaching just bigger and bigger audiences who can benefit from this great information. So I'll see you for part two on the next one.